Hello, this is Sasha. And this is Jay. And this is Shut Up, I Love It, a podcast where we invite a guest or guests to talk about something underrated, underappreciated, unknown, veiled, hidden from the world, <laughs> something like that. Who is here at the studio today, Jay? Well, today we have returning guest, Bri Walker. Uh, Bri is a neuropsychiatric counselor, a practitioner of ceremonial magic, and a member of the Golden Dawn. Welcome, Bri. Thank you. It's great to be back. And who else is here, Jay? And we we have an additional guest today, uh, a a new guest to the podcast. He is a former officer in the United States Marine Corps, an aerospace engineer, and a practicing alchemist. uh, He's here under a pseudonym of sorts. Uh, We're going to be referring to him as Frauder ICL. Welcome, Frauder. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, in full disclosure, I'm also a member of the same organization that... uh, that Bryant is uh, the, the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. Yes, yes, indeed, indeed. Yeah, to, to distinguish it from the, <laughs> the the Greek group of oh, neo-Nazis right. that has nothing at all to do with our our group that started in the late 1800s. So oh, okay. Oh, I, I didn't I even know that. Is is there some Nazi group called the Golden <laughs> yeah. Dawn as well? well Unfortunately, <laughs> in the past uh, 10, 15 years or so, uh, uh, an ultra-right nationalist group in Greece uh, tried to adopt that name, and that's sad because it has a, a long and venerable history in esoteric yeah. studies. That's so. a bummer. That, that That's almost like uh, if you named your daughter Isis, you know, like, like, yeah. like 10 years yeah. ago. Yeah. Very similar. <laughs> You'd be yep. pretty bummed exactly. out. <laughs> you think looking in the name changes, perhaps. <laughs> and just to remain, uh, to remind our listeners, last time Bryant was here, we talked about the occult, and we talked about the Golden Dawn quite a bit. Yes. So there's definitely that podcast available for you all out there to check out and get deep into that and learn from that. But what are we here to talk about today? Well, I thought we could further elaborate on that and go deeper into ceremonial magic but especially get into alchemy which i was taught here by my by my mentor and uh that's his area of expertise and also some you know other stuff that i think he could elaborate on more that's uh, just interesting and crazy like uh demonic evocation and um you know some of those stories i've heard from him over the years are amazing and strange and yeah and and, and the, unusual the, Brad, the, yep, the last yep. episode that we did with you you you, you fr- was involved in, in in i think one of your stories with the the shadow entity or something that, that you had seen right That's so 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 just for people who, who've listened to the last episode um you're meeting a character that that uh, that appeared uh, previously in the story so uh yes this uh, is the guy <laughs> that kept telling me to bind he is real. the demon to me when i was <laughs> Pretty new at the game, and <laughs> great. So let's yeah. let's start with alchemy. So the way I understand alchemy, right? It's just a laywoman's sure. understanding. Is that it is an ancient precursor to chemistry, very much, mostly focused uh, on uh, you know transforming more of a base elements into gold. So that's sort of the real life magic of the ancient ages or middle ages is how i think of alchemy so what is the modern state of alchemy what is it that you're involved into well yeah and and i think it's worth kind of um because because it is an ancient art and it is an art that is maintained much of its ancient character in modern times and so i think it's it's worth it to to have a a little bit of of background um more to the point that Alchemy was, like you said, it was an ancient precursor to chemistry and medicine. And it was alchemists primarily that created the scientific method, um, largely in medicine and chemistry par- prior to our modern era. Uh, there, were a, there were medical texts and other texts on how to mix things together that, and get certain compounds out of it that were... Um, you know, basically from even older eras, and there wasn't a lot of effort to 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 um, prove certain theories. They just believed it, kind of like people believed scriptures, right? That if if uh, this particular guy back in 200 BC wrote, "Here's what you do for this," then follow that and don't question it. It was it was uh, alchemists like you know Raymond Lully 
and uh, Paracelsus and um, other figures like that, which brought in the modern concept of, well, actually we should demonstrate whether these things work or not and what they do. And it was, so it was kind of a meeting point between the spiritual faith and scientific proving. And so um, there, there was obviously between then and the purely modern time, a complete divesting of any spiritual aspect to alchemy to become modern chemistry. But um, in my opinion, there's also been a, a resurgence of value placed on that spiritual component, especially in psychology, where you get uh, psychologists like Carl Jung and um, early you know, perspectives from Freud where they started to realize that there was a lot of truth to the way alchemists wrote about things and studied things to how the mind affects the work that you're doing and the mind affects nature. That's interesting, yeah, so that um, overall statement that you just made, the mind affects matter and uh, yeah. mind aff affects like the matter at hand almost, right, for the alchemist. Right. Yeah. So that just... Yeah, yeah and you, s you see that. So, okay, so and that, that also connects to me to the occult, something we talked about last time, right? So Very the much, connection yeah. between the mind... And that's why, and yeah. I mean, I'd say alchemists, like, originally were trying to find, like, the manifestation of spirit or God in nature. Well, they, they were trying to understand what creation was. They were very, they were using the, you know, m methods of science and religion mixed together to try and find the truth. Ultimately, the truth of what the universe is was something they were trying to not only understand, but demonstrate in the laboratory. And, and the reason why you get to this concept of converting metal, uh, base metals like lead into gold was because they, they, they viewed gold as the, the highest spiritual expression of the kingdom of metals. And they've used lead as, as the most basest and common, you know? And they viewed that, that if they were right about their view of creation and how humanity would develop. They didn't quite have the word evolve at that time, but you know, that modern alchemists would use the language evolve into something greater. Um, then, you know, if they could prove that they were right by showing in a laboratory on a piece of metal that you can do this, then they demonstrate that their principles are correct, that there's a, a, a way to evolve not just metals, but mankind, plants, animals, creation itself into a higher state. Ceremonial magic in its more illuminated form, not the form of just sorcery for money and, and, and you know, <laughs> getting, getting, you know, uh, lovers and, and jobs and, and things like that. It, ceremonial magic for the purpose of enlightenment and illumination shares the same goal as alchemy in its purest form. Its, its basest form is, hey, is there a way that I can get rich by converting this cheap metal into expensive metal and make a profit? Um, th that's the basest form of alchemy. The more refined aspect, just like the more refined aspect of occultism, is to obtain the conversation and knowledge of the, your, your, the highest part of your soul. The, higher, the golden dawn refers to as the, the higher genius. Right, and, and and so and so the because when when I hear the word alchemy, and I, I don't know the whole history of it, but I, sure, I, it it to me like Sasha mentioned, it's always been characterized by this pursuit of changing, changing baser metals into gold. So so what you're saying is sure. that it, like there there's a there's a lot more going on. That that, that was just one oh, right. one element of it. Well, that was the baser form of it. The the higher alchemists were trying to churn lead to gold as a proof of their spiritual beliefs and theories about the way the mind and nature uh, interact, about how the, the outer reality is an expression of inner consciousness and that they're ultimately linked, the, the as above, so below um, concept. And they wanted to prove that in a small micro way in their own laboratory. And, that, and they knew those who had been able to show that um, in, in one or more different forms would have these kind of like moments of satori, to use a Japanese term, mm -hmm. where it would completely change their consciousness. 
or samadhi in uh, in the yoga language, like right. samadhi, like when you're one with the higher being. Right, mm-hmm. and 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 seeing is definitely believing in that sense. If you watch that principle evolve in front of you, out of yourself, you see it. It, it happens in a corresponding way internally. And uh, most people who practice laboratory alchemy have felt that in the various minor stages as they go through the work, they connect with the distillation, the, the calcination, the, the, the various uh, mixing and, and, and so forth that they go, you go through in alchemy. It's, you start to have that tangible sense that it's happening to you. And you actually start to have get proof of of that happening by how other people react to you they start noticing like what have you what are you doing it's working you know or i I remember my ex-wife said to me one time you know wow you seem so much cleaner in your mind after i'd been really doing lab work strongly for a period of several months and it's true it it is a a kind of self-therapy that that helps you resolve your dysfunctions cleanse your soul clear your head, purify your heart. And, and, and that's what the real value of alchemy is, both the inner side of it and the laboratory side. Right. Now, now in my can, opinion. can you explain to us what the, because when I hear, again, when I hear alchemy, I'm thinking, I'm just imagining chemistry, like, like, like a primitive form sure. of, of early chemistry. But, but what you're implying is that there's, there's more of like a spiritual ritual element to it. Like, can you describe like what these like uh, ancient alchemists were doing? Like aside from just, you know, pouring chemicals into different uh, beakers and, and mm-hmm. absorbing observing the, the the effects like what else is go- like what 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 separates it um uh from just chemistry well um there def- there was uh among the monks the early christian monks that practiced alchemy there was a saying um that th- the practice should involve uh lege 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 re lege ora et labora which yeah. which means work read reread reread you know uh pray and work and so there was, uh, the, the ritual wasn't uh, that the aspect that you see in ceremonial magic is not what you see in alchemy. You don't see people getting up in robes and tracing geometric patterns in the air and invoking divine names. What you see is um, people who are, who are converting the, the focus of their mind through a lot of study of alchemical texts, which are deeply philosophical at the same time as instructive. Then you see them, you know, turning their mind through meditation or prayer towards uh, a higher goal, asking for insight into the secrets of nature. And then you see them actually attempting to work out their inspiration in an actual chemistry-like experiment where there are flasks and, and you know, heat. There's, there's fires that are heating flasks and they're watching you know, uh, you know, vapors distill off of substances, leaving residue behind that they didn't work through another process and repurify and and over and over again cycle these these uh, vapors and condensates and substrates to to purify them in what you know is done automatically for industrial purposes today. They did by hand in a very repetitious, patient methodical meditative way uh, they, they watched the circulation as they call it of these substances and then would see what to them were miraculous products come out of them some of which we understand scientifically today other products still remain very anomalous and uh, are not well understood and uh, especially among those who who practice the acetate path which is one form of the laboratory alchemy and if you want to, I can go into at some point the different forms of laboratory alchemy because there are many schools of it. One and, thing I've always thought it's inter- yeah. interesting, maybe for like the layman, is that um, what was the experiment where they, like physicists, had shown that they can transmute lead to gold? They like threw it into like a par- yeah with a particle accelerator yeah, with, on a yeah. microscopic scale. So they showed they could that it's physically possible it's within the realm of physics it's like the amount of energy it takes right. yeah. to do that is so it was a, it um, was a japanese scientist right and he, and he was able to take a, a like a piece of mercury 
and and add another whatever proton to it to make gold i believe it was right like sure a, like, like that, that happened like like with it you know like 30 40 years ago but yeah like the, the amount yeah. of energy that it took to, to to do that you know like 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 in a lab was just made like you know transmuting gold or whatever completely impractical but 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 it can be done right if you bombard mercury with enough yeah. w- 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 with enough uh, energy one more interesting thing is like the word chemistry it means like the art of chem and that was what the egyptians called their land because uh chem in in egyptian means black so they called it the black land like the fertile nile soil Mm -hmm. so chemistry is the art of chem so alchemy was a big part of egyptian magic and egyptian well yeah it was it was always part of of medicine whether it was metaphysical medicine or what we would understand more of today as pharmaceutical medicine, you know, alchemy create, part of what alchemy does is create a number of different compounds, some of which are very anomalous. And one of them is called the the medicine of metals and is, um, you know, or the universal medicine. And that's supposedly capable of curing any disease. Um, certainly among the list of diseases that were understood in the middle, middle ages, it probably was able to cure quite a lot of what they suffered from. And that reminds me of uh, Ayurveda. So I just yeah. got certified in, it's a yoga teacher, right? And yeah, isn't the Ayurveda somehow influenced by Egyptian alchemy that like well, kind of trickled into India? I don't know if that's historically the case, but there absolutely is a very strong tie between Ayurveda, Indian school of alchemy, and Western hermetic alchemy. And, and just overall, I see this um, comparison between alchemy and yoga in the sense that what modern day yoga is really just understood as asanas, which is only one of the eight limbs of yoga. There's so many things like yama and yamas and yamas. There's looking within, looking out, and how do you relate to the world, meditation, breathing. Oh. Posture, breath, uh, dhyana, devotion. Yeah. This, like, I feel like asanas for alchemy is getting that gold from base metal like right that is like the proof that that is like the flashy part like if i can do a crazy headstand then it means that i transformed into like a higher human being and that is almost like a proof that i've been through a school of yoga you know right but there's other stuff like there's so many other aspects that even come before asanas the postures themselves and you know, just the postures themselves is just what survived because it's the physical aspect that modern culture is interested in. But of course, the whole philosophy of yoga and studying it in the most purest way involves the well-rounded studying. And that does end with samadhi, the sense of union, the sense of union with the higher being and divine. And that just like makes sense to me that these two things like reflect each other. Oh, sure. Yeah. And, and there's a very ancient tie that's demonstrable by the fact that the, the, the form of alchemy practiced in India, uh, of a laboratory kind, works on plants the same exact method and way that the acetate path in the West does on metals. It's almost the exact same procedure. Um, and, and so there's, there's definitely a spiritual and historical tie to Indian um, teachings of, of esotericism and spirituality it, it, as it is with the Western alchemy. And you know, sure. I mean, you dropped, you dropped a couple of things that got me really interesting, like, like divine beings, like maybe, or like some form of divine beings bringing them out in the, in like alchemy as a tool to communicate with these beings. What is it in the modern setting? What does that mean? A lot of, modern alchemists tend to wax very union. They, they tend to look at the nature and the divine mind, if you will, as a, as a collective unconscious. And they look at the various uh, archetypes in alchemy as like the archetypes that Jung does in the, in the collective unconscious. They, they see the, the higher genius as that um, transcendent, boundless self um, that that you can that you can realize within yourself after a great deal of of spiritual jungian style therapy you know so it's that's what m- most modern i would say you know spiritual alchemists kind of think is they tend to wax 
a bit Jungian in their views about about these different beings that they arise from consciousness, not necessarily just our own individual consciousness. Some are more, you know, theist in, in their view that the universe itself is a giant collective consciousness, a divine mind. And that's more of the Jungian yeah. understanding, right? Yeah, like yeah. That that it's it goes beyond the individual self into this grand egregore from which we all are incarnated. And as individuals, and that we can, and that the divine part of ourself lives immortally in that in that collection of of the mind, and that we can not only be in contact with it, and and do regularly achieve that in alchemical work, but um, actually become get to the point where we resolve our lower consciousness and lower subconscious to the point where we we start to express and become almost like living vessels of that divine part of our soul and that that would be how a, a hermetic alchemist might define enlightenment right is is where they have result the dysfunction that separates our our normal waking consciousness from that divine part is resolved at a very root level deep in our unconscious mind and then they they unify and and now you're walking around as a essentially as that divine part of you living in this fleshly body you know now now i i have a question like, like kind of on the same su subject which is like like modern alchemists like, like what does that mean like what are you doing you know can, can you describe like like uh uh i don't know what you call it like a session or like you a know day like, in like, the life. yeah a day in the life of, of of an alchemist like as a practicing one like <laughs> just in, in in more practical you know objective terms uh like like, like what does that mean right so, so the way I was taught from my mentor is I was first taught um, a lot of the principles of alchemy in an inner meditative way, which is highly Jungian, almost like a, a, a dreamlike experience where you, you relax yourself, bring you into a deep state of trance, and then move through a, a, a dreamlike environment following certain basic principles of alchemy to... Resolve Jung, your Jung called your, it active imagination. Yes, very yeah. much Jungian yeah. active imagination. Very similar to that, and um, and so that's that would be something that a practicing alchemist who's really working the inner side of it would do several times a week, um, and then but the sessions that deal with the laboratory is you you have your lab set up, um, which you you try to make. You know, some some of the more serious kinds will have an actual permanent workshop in their home or garage. I tend to work out of my kitchen, and uh, I have a section of my kitchen that I'll set up things. Uh, my 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 heater and my you know my flask heater, my my flask, my distillation train, and and I work very hard to make it something I can take down and set up quickly so that visitors don't think I'm running a meth lab in my home. <laughs> yeah, and, right. That, like if someone uh, peered through the window, that's the first thing they'd probably think, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I remember watching Breaking Bad and, and seeing... Uh, uh, like I have that. Going, I have that. <laughs> yeah, he was he was all excited about a five liter flask. You know how hard it is to get these, and I'm like, yeah, I do. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, it's like, and I started to see a yeah. It's there's there's unfortunately uh, some similarities between synthetic drug I, makers and. I, and I think I sent a picture of my setup to Jay at one point. Yeah. And he was like, "What the fuck are you doing?" <laughs> I was like, "Yeah, man, alchemy." Yeah, yeah. So it's it's hard to explain, you know, and so you try not to bother trying to. Yeah, explain. Cops will be like, yeah, yeah, whatever, whatever, song dude. Hits You're you doing this head. for spirituality, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so so it is. It, there's there's still secrecy that's needed, just maybe for different reasons. You might not be burned at a stake literally anymore, but. You're certainly going to to run into trouble legally if you're not careful. But um, you know, just from from suspicion of doing something wrong. But the point is that you set up these distillation apparatus and you follow procedures that have been laid down for centuries um, where they tell you, okay, now you're going to take this uh, solution. Well, you can take this lead, for instance, and melt it down until it starts to form its oxide. You do that outside because, you know, it's toxic. And then you collect that oxide and then you dissolve it in, in this vinegar. And, and of course, the old instructions are using this very symbolic language that you need a teacher to help you decode. 
Um, and then, and then, but if you decode the very crazy language they used to describe alchemical compounds back then, then it's a very clear step-by-step -step recipe. The, the thing is, though, that you're doing this act mindfully. You're mindful of your goal. You're mindful of the, the implication of what you're doing. And then so these simple uh, chemistry lab-type steps start to have a deep degree of meaning in yeah, them. Yeah, it's a yoga in itself. It kind, yeah. yeah. And, and so it's, uh, you know, and, and so once you got, for instance, this uh, dissolved lead oxide in this vinegar, you, you're able to distill it down into what's called the green lion. Because oftentimes, if, if depending on the ore you started with, it could look very green, um, but also refers to the fact that it's unripe. It's not fully ripe, which you then go through a various number of processes, purifying the substance, separating it out into various fumes and compounds, and then purifying them separately and recombining them together, very much like, you know, a symbolic act of taking the various dysfunctions in your head, analyzing them to why they're a problem, why you're in conflict with yourself, purifying your motives and reintegrating all of the good and the bad back into you to reach um, an integrated functional self. Psychoanalysis. Yeah. And it, so it's, it's very much, and very obviously while you're doing it, uh, a symbolic metaphorical act of what you're trying to do internally. Um, but when you do that separation, purification, and recombination of these different elements and principles, then you get various solutions or uh, various solvents that can then do really strange things like like um like you, you could pour it on your hand and it wouldn't burn your skin but you could drop gold in it and like aqua regia would dissolve it very bizarre anomalous things that most chemists wouldn't agree could even happen hmm. um and and uh and so th there definitely is compounds that in alchemy are called philosophic so they say philosophic mercury and that's a solution that does something that normal chemistry would not explain and the average chemist wouldn't be able to replicate. Right. And if, if you're creating these substances through the alchemical processes, it, it's because it, it, at first I was thinking like, OK, maybe this is just like, like Brian mentioned that ceremonial magic a lot of times is more of a practice than something that, that has an end result. Like, uh, you know, like, like, like the layman might think, oh, you you cast a spell and you get something from it, like like physically. That's a lower form of magic. Yeah, but 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 yeah, but, but, but then Brian kind of Brian kind of yeah. like described another version of it, which is like it could be like playing music where it's like a practice or like like a or yoga yeah, or, or something so yeah. but 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 from what you're saying like so so th there's a version at least a version of alchemy where you're 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 you know like um cr not creating but you're extracting somehow you're you're eliciting these substances that, that are able to do certain things right right or, or like, like like what are some other some other things that that, that you know these substances um, are well, able to do that. I feel like what you're asking is kind of like, what's the end goal? Like, is yeah. there a teleology to it? So and the, there is one. The, the, there can... are little benefits along the way, little goals. There is the larger goal of the knowledge and conversation of the higher genius. And then there are goals beyond that, believe it or not. Um, but the, the, the real search for what you're trying to do is achieve wisdom and understanding. That's like, like in how, you know, Solomon referred to wisdom and understanding as more important than gold and rubies and all the precious things you could imagine. From the Bible. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah, from, uh, yeah, oh, you, from that, those that's uh, all pagan right. listeners. Yeah. Well, yeah, remember <laughs> that uh, modern alchemy comes from a Judeo-Christian Islamic origin. So, right. um, yeah, so there's, there's definitely uh, references all throughout alchemical texts to those scriptures. Um, depending on, on the particular bent of the alchemist. In fact, the acetate path, which is the one I follow, originated from a, a woman who was a, a Jewish in, in like 200 BC. Was that at Maria Prophetessa or something? Or, or Well, they, they refer to it in, in classical texts as Mar Mary the Jewess. Okay. Yeah, but, um, and so there's, there's definitely is a, a, a relationship there between like people of the book, so to speak, to Western alchemy. Although the more ancient forms of it, like that come from, that, that arise in the era of the Emerald Tablet are definitely Greco-Egyptian pagan in origin. 
Um, so, but generally, alchemists tend to be universalists. They tend to see all religions as as pointing to the one thing, just different metaphors for the same deeply unknowable concepts, at least consciously unknowable. And that's the key, is to make the things that are so transcendently beyond normal consciousness to understand, to become clear and plain. Kind of like when Bryant here has described uh, taking an entheogen, <laughs> and, and suddenly all the universe is clear, you know? And, and, and that kind of thing can happen from ingesting certain types of alchemical products. They can act like an entheogen on your psychology and on your body. And Do you guys um, know the term entheogen? Yeah. Most people call it psychedelics. Yeah. Oh, right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for, yeah. The, for the listener. So does entheogen consumption always a component in an alchemist's communication with a being from a different sphere? No, uh, in fact, it's, you know, people that are pretty serious about alchemy understand how easily it is to poison oneself. And so generally don't involve themselves in ingesting their products unless they really understand what they have in front of them. Uh, and, and, and they're taking a pretty big risk. But no, I, I did go through um, an experience that was deeply uh, intense where I had reached an alchemical sort of reaction from a, a hermetic alchemical meditation I was performing, this active imagination, that, that forced a change in my biochemistry to, to a degree, or at least a somatic one, and um, caused me to believe that I was really dying, because the concept of death, separation, putrefaction, and being reborn is a very big concept in alchemy, and so that can come about in ways where your body and your mind become convinced that you're about to die. Like and a psychedelic, that yeah. kind of ego death. Right, or, right. Yeah. And, and I started to have symptoms of a heart attack. And I, went, I was taken by an ambulance into um, the emergency room. They did the whole stress tests, all of the different things. They said, there's not a thing wrong with your heart. Everything's working properly. Um, and so, uh, but through that process, I went through a death experience and was reborn in a, in a spiritual metaphorical sense. And yeah. So from a medical point of view, what was the cause? Oh, they, well, I don't know that they uh, had any, because they didn't tell me what they, th they just said, they just, but they did hand me some, uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, Ibuprofen? Well, no, 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 it was, oh. <laughs> Omedizimidor prozol or something. It was it was something for a, a really powerful and acid. <laughs> you know, They're like it's just gas, baby. <laughs> <laughs> it's just gas. Yeah. Even though relax. I was sitting there like certain I was gonna die, you know, and to the point where I called an ambulance. But what was the context when you had that feeling of dying? It was a a, a shadow integration experience. Yeah, there's. What does that mean? Well, there's there's certain elements of the inner process because the inner process of alchemy is even more secretive than the laboratory process, and not many people teach it. Yeah, one thing he didn't yeah. really mention is that, like, for instance, my training, I went through all the inner work and um, just kind of braised the surface of the lab work, but kind of like my teaching was that everything is demonstrated within the inner work. Like, you don't need to do the kind of the, the outer work the lab work kind of demonstrates the concepts of the inner work. Right, because often your subconscious, you might, you like like St. Paul used to say, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. What he's talking about is a concept seen a lot in alchemy, where consciously you can uh, uh, agree with a concept intellectually, but your own subconscious is back there going, nope, it's all BS. Mm -hmm. And so when you demonstrate something in the laboratory, there's, there's almost like a tangible click that happens in the back of your head where your unconscious is like, okay, I see that, I agree with it now. And then suddenly all of these thing, these, these spiritual gifts just kind of become unlocked inside of you because now your unconscious is not disagreeing with your process anymore, you know, fighting against yourself. That's familiar. It's definitely happened yeah. to some people, myself included. But what is the shadow being... The shadow is the part it's of the you. Jungian sense of, yeah. of the shadow, like the sort of Freudian. Do, is well, there the, it is the unconscious mind. Uh, the the shadow is rarely referred to. The id, though, being the unconscious, or in the Kabbalah called the nefesh, is often considered in alliance with the shadow, with what or what would be called in Hebrew the nechash, 
which is um, the serpent. If you look at the Adam and Eve um, portrait, man, woman, and serpent in between, it, it kind of is a really good illustration of Kabbalistic psychology. Right, and and the the notion that the the devil or the serpent convinced Eve to be a bad girl first is metaphorical to how the mind of the human, the 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 the, sh- the, the serpent or the shadow in the person. Um, influences the unconscious, the the Eve within us, which then forces the Adam, the conscious mind, to behave a different way. Yeah, all the chakras do have shadows, you know, in yogi right. study. Yeah, like if it's yo- uh, if it's like a sh- heart chakra, I think it's like fear, or I might be wrong. Is the shadow right, of fear. it? Yeah, fear comes from the shadow. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, that the the shadow is the repository of all the things that we reject throughout life, and. About it, ourselves. Yeah, and it's not necessarily an intellectual a shadow. Satan. <laughs> well, I mean, you, you, there's a as above, so below concept, but the, the idea is that that part of us that re- keeps in itself all the things that since we were an infant, we reject. You, stuff that happened to us that we don't aren't even aware of, um, that we aren't even aware that we reject it out of hand all of that goes into the shadow and becomes this influence for dysfunctional behavior through the id and so there's often a focus on the id or the nefesh or the unconscious mind because it's very much you know influenced more heavily by the the shadow than the conscious mind is but the truth is it's a different thing in the end the alchemist or the union wishes to come, you know, merge the conscious and the unconscious mind, and the 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 philosopher stone, which is what you're trying to make in laboratory alchemy, is a substance that is purported to do that. It's purported to both be able to turn a base metal into gold, and then if you ingest it after proving it's the philosopher stone by doing that, then you ingest it and it creates this cascade effect throughout your entire consciousness that in all your 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 body and and nervous energy every level of your of your physical and spiritual self that causes a massive reintegration in almost instantly and the effect on your body and your mind is both terrifying uh, as it's reported to be i haven't done this but it's reported to be both terrifying deeply spiritually illuminating and if done without proper preparation can kill you yeah well the, well well i mean i was going to ask you about the, the concept of the philosopher's stone actually because because yeah. that's the other thing that i know just hearing the word alchemy i know that and this is my layman knowledge of it is is that is that yeah it's it's this object or substance that that, that is like the key that, that, that unlocked but whether it's the the end goal of alchemy is to obtain it or it's or it's this sort of like key that unlocks it unlocks the 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 process to another level um it's it's what you need to actually turn metals into gold but now now is is this something that that you what you said you haven't found it or interacted with it yet but i i, I haven't finished the process yeah but this is something that people seek out it's it's not just like a figurative you know harry potter stuff well yeah yeah well, it's, uh, it's, it's it's not just like a mythic thing that no, that no one is harry able potter. to obtain it's like it's it's something that you think is tangible well, it's, it's both. When you get a proof, if you do the inner work deeply and properly with right guidance, you reach a point where you are able to prove, and this is a very magical, miraculous experience, um, and you have many of them uh, in that process, where you prove that the outer reality and your inner reality are not different. You actually are able to prove that despite all of the evidence of physical sciences, your own mind can change outer reality right in front of your eyes. And that level of awareness and change in thinking and consciousness is uh, an extremely moving and powerful experience. And that shows you that a lot of the myths that we hold as mere imaginary stories like fairy tales made up by Disney, many of them have a literal and very real uh, aspect to our conscious history, or the history of our consciousness. And so, and, and things that result in stuff you can hold in your hand physically. So that most people who practice alchemy today 
are 100% convinced that the Philosopher's Stone is simply a metaphor, and it's not a real object. A very substantial minority of laboratory alchemists are convinced it's a very real object. It doesn't take any spiritual work to get. Any group of monkeys could be trained to make it. And then there's the, the smallest sliver of modern alchemists uh, working today are the ones that see them, the both are true. It is a, both a, a very spiritual, metaphysical thing and a physical thing. And they've experienced uh, things in the practice of hermetic alchemy that demonstrate that those two things aren't separate, that the inner and the outer are one. As much as that makes me happy to know that the Philosopher's Stone is maybe achievable, like, or considered so, or like what is in your mind can also translate directly the power of your mind into what's in your hands. I, yeah. I'm, I'm, it makes me curious of the very like outsidery question of sure. then why doesn't the person who possesses such knowledge becomes president of the United States or the next Bill Gates or do they or don't mm. they? You, you, when you encounter, I mean, and I can only say this from the limited degree that I have experienced it. Um, I'm definitely not, I, when, when Brian invited me over here, he said, well, can we introduce you as a master alchemist? In, in, in our work, that's a very specific term for someone who has made the Philosopher's Stone, um, and I have not. And so I can only speak from the limited products that I have made so far and have worked with and my experiences in the inner work thus far. And just to quickly interrupt you, how many people have made Philosopher's Stone? How many masters are out there living right now that you know of? I can only confirm maybe two or three. Um, but the, there's probably a great deal more. Um, the, the thing is that, you know, to the point I'm, I was trying to say is that um, when you encounter even in a limited degree the, the secrets of nature, you become completely aware in a wordless way how important it is to maintain those secrets as secrets. Um, because the fact is you learn very directly and in, and in a very provable way that most people need to be ignorant of those secrets to continue to fulfill their process, to go through the lessons of life they're intended to learn in a given incarnation. Right. It's, it's, it's like plans to build a, like a, a nuclear missile or something like, you know, it, it's, it's dangerous in, in, in the wrong hands, correct? Let's not teach a five-year-old how to fire a bazooka. Right, right. Now, or just even the part of your brain sometimes is like, yeah. can part of my brain handle this knowledge? Like when I took, that, a, that, yeah. when I took a lot exactly. of mushrooms like a year ago... Uh, I've traveled to dimensions for extended period of time, like compared to sure. even more previous trips that were very intense. But I've traveled ex to exhaustion, to the point of complete exhaustion over and over, endless exhaustion, to places of higher beings, you know, that are yeah. devoid of humanity because they're in a different plane of existence <laughs> who create and blow up universes momentarily. As, and so I spent so much time with them that... I found myself crying in the bathroom floor and saying a human should have not gone to that place. Like no human sure. should have come close to that because I I just didn't I, I didn't want to like I didn't I didn't You weren't ready for it. I didn't wish it upon anybody, including yeah. myself. Yeah, sure. and, 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 and so in regards to the Philosopher's Stone, so you say you, you, you can confirm two or three people that, that, yes. that, that have achieved this, this level. These are, these are individuals that performed a demonstration of a transmutation of a base metal into a higher one in front of a crowd of people. Okay, so I was going to ask you, like, how do you know? Like, like what, why, what, wouldn't these yeah. people, if this is such a powerful thing and, and it's so hard to achieve, like, wouldn't those people then keep it secret or would they ever tell anybody that they are able to do it? I mean, like, like, like what would... Well, their own students, yeah. I guess what would motivate someone aside from just, like, um, street cred or something, like, what would motivate you to demonstrate that you were able to do that? Like, like uh, rather than just keep it within at that point? Well, again, it's like part of the experience of being able to do that comes with um, a, a wordless understanding of why it's so important not to go around 
showing off Mm -hmm. that court sort of thing now there are people in the middle ages who had eureka moments which may have not been completely tied to spiritual revelation and they went about um and these are more uh apocryphal accounts who knows if they're true or not i'm the ones i'm referring to happened in modern times but in the middle ages there were there are accounts of people who sent proofs of their ability to transmute base metals into gold to uh to 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 various nobles and were then imprisoned into towers where they were forced to sit there and make gold for their lord uh not allowed to leave or or or, you know so they're basically trapped so there's also a practical aspect of a sense of very real social danger in demonstrating that you can do something like that and regularly. Right. If I, if I can read yeah. minds, then CIA is going to take me and make me write, sure. like their subject. That kind of <laughs> general, yeah, yeah, yeah like a, almost like a story point for Hollywood TV yeah. shows. But I mean, there's, we're sitting here talking theoretically about a concept that if you re- the reality of which would be extremely insane. If you had a guy named like at Bill Gates or Elon Musk's level, doing uh making gold out of lead and telling everybody and running their business or their charity off of it um it would crash the markets and believe me that guy wouldn't last another week before he was taken out so does this knowledge of i don't want to go to this extent of rising in the human hierarchy and the societal hierarchy does this knowledge come at the same time accompany this sort of the like this reveal right of i'm now know the secrets of the universe and i also realize now that i should not use them for my own profit well i mean there there's a a general rule a kind of credo among those who practice hermetic alchemy uh uh strongly um or you know that to be secret in your success and to be prudent in your use and you know, um, of the stone. They, they, they didn't believe there was anything wrong with with making a profit off of the gold you made if you used it to sustain a modest livelihood for yourself uh, and your family so that you could be free of the limitation of labor to work on spiritual things. Let's just say what I want from life. Yeah. I want to make enough, you know, I want to write enough scripts to, right. you know, just live comfortable living. I don't need yeah. to own an island. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, right. almost, yeah. it's almost like what people, uh, you know, like the dream of an artist, which is like, 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 you know, the, 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 the modest dream of an, of a humble artist, which is to like, I just want to create my thing and just enough to sustain myself and live comfortably. Sure. So I don't uh, have to work right. as an accountant <laughs> yeah, or yeah. something so like I don't, that. So I don't yeah. have a side job. Right. But there, there's also, also the fact that one's own higher genius, this is a concept in the work, can oftentimes th- allow certain flaws to, or misunderstandings to exist in your work so that, you, that it prevents you from actually achieving the grand success at the end, uh, at least it, until the very end of your life or, or in the next, because there may be still more lessons for you to learn from basic labor. Because it's journey, not destination, right? Exactly. That's exactly what I was about to say. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Yeah, there's yeah. a, I think it's like Zen or something. Yeah. It's like, what do you do before enlightenment? Right. It's uh, fetch water and chop wood. Yeah. What do you do after enlightenment? Yeah. Fetch water and chop wood. Oh, and there's a, there's a wonderful story that comes out of the Kabbalah too about the different rabbis who each achieved a vision of the throne of God. And in the process, each of them reacted in a very different way. One of them, decided, his heart so longed for the, the divine source of his soul, he just completely absorbed into God. And then there was another who, who came back and the revelation taught him that there was a lot wrong with human rules. And so he went around teaching heresy. And then there was, uh, there was a, a, the third one, came back and, and the, it shattered his mind so much he just went insane. The one person who managed to handle this experience productively came out of the state and went right back to, to farming, you know? And, and Oh my God, that's such a cool story. Because it makes me also think of my personal experience of like, like the next level of, for me, of even understanding like, so the mushroom trip that's like very ethnogenic. It's like, I also realized that I am human and my job is to live in the human world 
and right. to be with other humans and that is what i want to do that i was that's what i was put on this earth to do and i want to be good at that like right. after spending time being in a different dimension it's i'm more committed to being a human than i've ever <clears throat> felt before like in the weirdest right. way not not knowing you well enough to speak on your personal spiritual s- situation i would posit that what you went through is not uncommon uh, there's there's a there are facts of the experience where if you breach too far from where your own higher genius wants you to go at the moment, then the shadow is allowed and permitted, even invoked by the higher genius to rise up and terrify you to keep you from going someplace oh, that would be un. That's what happened. Yeah. To, to keep you from going somewhere that would be unproductive. The guardian to at the threshold. Yeah. It's often called. I No, I've crossed the threshold and then, yeah, I think it was pushing me back, literally, and just saying, you've seen too much. And Jay is making a face right now next to me like, oh, I <laughs> no, know. because no, no, he he, no, but he thinks, like, he thinks like, what am I even talking about? Because he thinks like he's seen it all. But like to me, like my personal experience was in that like you're saying, I love this concept of one's own higher genius, which yeah. controls the human in me almost, right? Yeah, and very much. Your experience. And recruits shadow to right. keep me sane in my humanity. Yeah, there's the, the, one of the very earliest revelations in hermetic alchemy is the fact that, it, that every part of you, both the dark and the light, is there for a reason a very good spiritual reason even when it is it can serve to lead you into bad behavior all of that teaches you something that ultimately increases your wisdom and understanding which is the ultimate purpose of life to an alchemist yeah i mean just like having a cup of tea after that experience was like one of the most comforting doesn't begin to describe it experiences you know like just the most deep experiences because you're like fuck yeah i'm back on earth I've seen it all, and I can now enjoy it so much. Right. And, yeah. And what a powerful re- revelation. Yeah. Yeah. What a because you aren't wasting your time here. Every one of the uh, uh, things that a hermetic alchemy teaches is that everything has. Uh, it, there's no wasted phenomenon. Everything means and matters something. E- eating breakfast to to just you know working a menial labor task to to more you know, wonderful things, all, all of it has a point. I would argue that spending too much time on Facebook doesn't fall into that category. <laughs> <laughs> that's just me. It might if that's where I, I would argue that Facebook and all it's, for all it's good and bad exists for a reason, you know? Even, even for the lessons it teaches us in self-discipline, you know? So this was part one of our discussion about modern day alchemy. Next week, we'll talk about demonic vocations. What are they? How do they work? and what are the real-life experiences that Frater, ICL, and Bryant Walker can tell us about. Hope you can join us. Thank you, Jay Hunter, for co-hosting with me. Thank you, Elizabeth Salute, for artwork. Thank you, Andrew Hayworth, for your music. And thank you for listening. Thank you.